And they wrote back and said, well, tell us who it is and we'll investigate it. And I'm going, hold on. Oh, no, we I'm can't not, do that. I'm not going to, yeah. You can't I'm, make the news. <laughs> I can't participate in a story that I want to recover. Welcome to Bruise News Week, recorded on 3rd August 2022. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Bruise News, and I'm joined again by <laughs> award-winning senior journalist Claire Burnett. Welcome back, Claire. Hey, Matt. Welcome back, Boom Boom. We've, I know. we've missed. Oh, yeah. Yep. Sorry about that. No, on well, you, you did have a couple of weeks holiday, couple and of then weeks, yeah. you've also uh, you, you work part-time, for those who don't know. You work yep. four days a week, um, despite the amount of content you put out. <laughs> um, and it's that's just changed to Thursday, which is recording day. So, mm-hmm. although we are so recording. So, I got ditched for that. But oh, I've been... Not, I, not no, no, no. Ditched. I haven't listened to last week's, but I have really enjoyed the mix-up. Jimmy's fantastic. We I remember when we had Jimmy on a oh, year and a half, two years yep. ago, and he was like on consistently for a while and it, mm. when he before he started at Felons um, and he was just fantastic so it was really nice to hear him back Great value and Brennan Virus was very interesting mm. um, so very interesting and it, you know again it's one of those challenges we get you know when we do need to replace a host getting people who are of the industry know the industry but aren't compromised by the, you know mm. th- th- they're not in a position where yep. they can't speak because Because then listeners are going to go oh well of course you'd say that you've got vested interest in that and you're like, yeah, fair enough. To my way of thinking, that's okay if they say that. <laughs> like, okay. it, like if, if, if your conflict is really obvious, you know, mm-hmm. where people say, look, I don't want to comment on that or I don't want to comment on that or whatever. But it's, yeah, when, when you serve, if you're a business that serves a whole industry or things like that, that's where it can be problematic because you don't want to upset anybody. And it's, well, on this hand, on this hand, on this hand, on this hand. So <laughs> and we, 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 we've, you know, not... Not for a long time, so I don't think I'll be ratting anybody out. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's been an issue that we faced in the past. So it was good to have Brendan because he, uh, yeah, spoke very frankly last week. Um, and Jimmy's always good, um, you know. Uh, so it was good. But uh, it's good to have you back. It's good to have your dulcet tones. But Thank we do much. not have Sabrina. Like we're uh, finding it very hard. The trio is not back together. Uh, it has been uh, a little bit of illness. Yeah, it's been going round, hasn't it? Everyone has not been knocked good. out. Um, Bumping in for exhibition at the moment. Yeah, Unfortunately, oh I had COVID two and a half months ago. So, yeah, so you'll be all right. Well, you were well, all right for we'll, a bit. We'll wait and see because the new strains are apparently recatchable. And Danger zone. Yeah, and okay. the Echo is the place you're going to get it. And I had a flu shot and haven't got the flu, but we'll wait and see. But anyway, <laughs> now this, this is the news. Again, we're in a little bit of that mid-year hiatus where there's mm-hmm. not a lot of news happening, not a lot of uh, things. Things start to warm yep. up again in September. Yep. I think everyone's gearing up as well, making plans for summer. Um, it's all getting a bit... I think we're going to see a lot lot more activity going on. Uh, everyone's back. Not back to normal, as we've just mentioned. Lots of COVID happening, but a little bit closer to normal than we have been for a while. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it, it, it's what happens. And, you know, I, I get the feeling that there's a lot... We, we don't cover equity crowd funds, uh, <laughs> for one thing. Yet before we get uh, any but, but before we get it. And yep. speaking of which, um, we've the equity, the... Future Magic. Future Mountain has... Have you seen that yet? I have, yes. Future okay. Magic. Yep. We might just talk about that quickly. I've done a fantastic... Oh, you're going to okay. love it. My fantastic equity crowdfunding thing. Just plug a few numbers in and it sorts, tells you all the valuations and stuff like that as well. Immediately. Awesome. All automated. So Sabrina will love it. Future Magic. Um, so they want 800000 And it values them at $3.5 million. $3.5 million for a business that hasn't made or poured a beer yet. Okay, well, we, we might come back to that after. Okay. <laughs> that's, 
yeah, that's <laughs> definitely news. Okay. But yeah, Claire, Stalwart Brewing goes in like a sad news to start. Um, yes. Speaking yes, of which. We'll get uh, it out the way quick. So actually we had seen that Stalwart Brewing had uh, closed down its venue earlier in the year. So that was in January. But then while I was away, uh, they actually went into liquidation, mm. including their um, production. So sad times, I think... Um, might not be the last that we see uh, very much related to uh, COVID issues. Um, but I also think it's an in, it was an interesting place. Obviously, we've seen a boom on the Sunshine Coast, but Nambour is just a little bit in and I don't know, maybe it was a bit of a traffic situation that um, lack thereof. I, it's did, all a tricky one. Did, did the Your Mates guys were up there for a while, um, just around the corner from there, you know, trying to get a bargain? Because it's, mm-hmm. it, it's I, I believe you can get leases at a reasonable cost, so it's attractive. Yeah, and they're trying to get more people in the Nambour Council because they set a new entertainment precinct, so that was what Starwood Brewing kind of went into originally. But it was interesting that we spoke to the liquidators and they were very open about, you know, that this is going to be a trend we're going to see, especially in hospitality and other consumer-focused industries. Difficulties um, have started to accrue on balance sheets, uh, increasingly difficult trading conditions. So we had that nice little bubble of JobKeeper and everything for a couple of years and now we're out of it, but we're still feeling the effects. Yep. So... And interest rates are going up. Yeah. So, and that's not just for businesses, it's mm-hmm. for consumers Everybody. as well. Yeah. Um, I, I heard something that, you know, depending on what your mortgage is, you know, you're basically buying a washing machine a month um, to pay for, for the increase in your mortgage, you know. Oh so, yeah, I mean, really when a lot of people have to save to buy a washing machine, mm-hmm. the increase in your mortgage. So, so that's taking money out of people's pockets, you know, discretionary. Yeah. So it's a. Fingers crossed that we won't see too much. Um, you know, get out and support your local craft brewery. Absolutely. Um, but uh, no, sad news because Adam is a lovely, lovely guy. You know, hugely enthusiastic participant in the craft beer industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it's just a, a shame to see that happen. Yeah. Um, in brighter, well, potentially brighter news. I guess it would be nice if yeah. we didn't need the association. Yes, it would be nice. Yes. <laughs> but uh, that's anyway. okay. We're doing um, stuff. That's Pink nice. Boots Engage Roads launch leadership scholarships. They have indeed. So this is the second year that Pink Boots Society Australia has launched its leadership scholarships, uh, with a lot of help and support. Um, by sponsors Gage Roads Bruco, which is fantastic. It's so good to see a brewery putting their money where their mouth is. Um, So I believe there's uh, three leadership scholarships you can apply for uh, in WA and seven in on the East Coast um, or the rest of Australia. So um, go and have a look at that. It was really interesting to hear from um, the leadership uh, scholarship recipients from last year what they learned, why they would do it, and a little bit of background into why they think that this is a problem. Um, It's a bit of visibility, lots of different things. Uh, But yeah, won't go into it on this one, but it was very fascinating to hear from all of them. And uh, yeah, leadership program is now open. Go and have a look what you can do. The courses are with the Australian Institute of Management. uh, So an external sort of uh, courses uh, that you can go and do uh, to just learn more about being a leader. Excellent. And uh, yeah, it was a, rather than just cover the scholarships themselves, you did dig a little bit into the background for why uh, the, the scholarships are necessary. You know, yes. So some, some of the issues that, uh, that the industry is, is facing. Yep, exactly. 
Um, in other news, and this was from a media release, New Zealand Hops launches Bract Brewing Program. Yes. So uh, New Zealand Hops uh, has launched the program which takes trial hops and delivers them to select global brewers. Required to use one Bract hop to create a single hop beer and then evaluated for its technical details. Aromas, flavours, post-fermentation performance, um, and then feedback is di- will directly impact the innovation pipeline at NZ Hops. So, clever little way of doing it. Liked it. It was inter- uh, interesting. I uh, had a good chat to Brendan last week when we talked mm-hmm. about uh, New Zealand hops. Because, um, yeah, it's a bit – New Zealand hops is, a, is an interesting one. It's a growers mm-hmm. cooperative on one hand. And, uh, th- you know, there's always been industry concern about the, how demand has always exceeded supply for hops. And there's been a whole lot of talk about why that was. But now you're starting to see some of the growers sell independently outside of the co-op, which mm-hmm. – is interesting um, mm-hmm. for a co-op. You know, New Zealand Hops is obviously uh, working to, uh, and actually we've also seen a lot of private equity money go into New Zealand as well and mm-hmm. partnerships with, uh, for example, Garage Project on the Happy uh, Project uh, to, to develop new hops. So there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in New Zealand um, and, you know, New Zealand Hops uh, developing this is, uh, you know, an interesting development. Yeah, definitely. Because we wrote, I don't know if you remember, Mark, we, before I went away, I wrote... Um, article that I probably delved far too deep into about new product development in hops in uh, hop varietals mm. and things like that and just the process of coming up with it and testing it and giving it to other people is just it, it's so involved um, so if they can sort of send it out and not have it even in their own lab necessarily and, and have it in their own internal brewery they actually get to send it out there and use it in a real working brewery that has to deal with all the stresses and challenges of uh, of being a working brewery so yeah it must be an interesting one um to have that but yeah good on them i guess it's interesting listening to a couple of the u.s hops in one of the things that we see, and I think sometimes because we get a concentration, anything that comes out gets sent to us. And you know, if you're sort of watching in the marketplace, maybe you don't see every media release and every story. And, and we also keep an eye on everything as well. So you, I guess we start to see trends just because of the, the, the sheer weight of the information that we're getting. Mm-hmm. But I'm really starting to see in the US commentators at the pointy end of the game, you know, almost the beginnings of a backlash against new tropical fruit hops. You know, the brewers, the marketplace are very much in that, you know, we love these new hops. They're they're really exciting. You know, Nectaron, which is New Zealand one, Eclipse in in Australia. They're new flavours. There's the novelty of the beers that as brewers find out what they work for. But you are starting to see the pointy end people starting to want to go back to some of the classic Mm -hmm. flavours. And Mm -hmm. I'm sort of going, well, if if that's an emerging trend... That's, you know, I would not want to be a hop grower. Um, They'll have to go back into the biobank, into the germplasm and have a dig around, see what else is there. Yeah, a couple (laughs) of years, um, you know, and just a couple of years before any of these uh, come on Yeah, absolutely. Even if they've already got the strand, the varietal, Mm. and they're like, oh, we could bring that back. They've still got to grow it and test it and do that process all over again. Um, So it's going to be a really difficult one. I think that's always a hard line for any hop grower to walk. You know, you're basically having to exist... uh, pretending you have a crystal ball and you can predict what's going to happen in five to ten years in beer trends and styles and I know you and Sabrina have talked about like the growth of European styles and malt driven um, beers in the future so that'll have a probably have an impact as well and and are we prepared for it and I guess they've got to be. Which is what was interesting (laughs) the point you made about the article that you wrote that you know brewers get to trial these things they get to experiment so they get to to use them which is great 
but at the moment one of the macro trends in the industry is novelty, you know, looking for new, where people want new hop variety, where consumers want new hop varieties and so brewers want them. They want new flavours, they want in- interesting, bold flavours. And the new hops coming in capitalise on that. But what happens if that macro trend mm-hmm. starts to, to, to fade and people want to go back to more known... Yeah, And, mm-hmm. and, and we, we've seen that with, um, you know, Chardonnay is where Chardonnay became big. So everyone started wooding the bejesus out of them and, you know, over-oaked. <laughs> Um, and really, really buttery, and you know that was exciting. So everyone did that, and then you you go back to suddenly something with a bit of subtlety and nuance, and you know the wine world is filled with those sorts of things. We really haven't seen too much. We, we have seen the rise of the craft lager, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a bit of a bellwether mm-hmm. towards that, and uh, you yep. know so many brewers are, are doing it. Um, we are starting to even see brewers bring back West Coast lagers, um, for example. So the the the, the less Fruity, so they're still fruity, but they're more bitter, so mm-hmm. more IPA than um, the some of the juicies. So you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. So Very yeah, you, you wouldn't want to be a hop grower unless you really, really loved it. You would not, Claire. You wrote a great article on the basics of beer tourism. <laughs> oh, I wish I could take credit for oh, this. Oh, no, this one. was Vivian. This was a Vivian one. Yeah, so uh, Vivian did this one. Um, great little look at. Um, well, I, I believe she spoke to Josh Donahoe at uh, Sunshine Coast Craft Beer Tours and um, Kyle at Alice Springs Brewing Co. Talking about, you know, the things that you have to have um, to be, to attract tourists to your brewery. Obviously, people probably aren't going to come to a specific place, Alice Springs, to see the brewery. Not saying that you, that you wouldn't, but it's not usually 100% the motivation. But if you can attract tourists and they come to your area, um, then uh, it's just a nice little run through of some of the things that have worked and um, also some of the things that have been challenging recently as well. I thought it was really interesting that Kyle um, said, you know, if you need to pare back your menu, if you need to cut down your core range um, because of hospitality shortages, because of um, staff stresses because of increase of costs then you do it as long as you do what you do mm. you're the core of that as long as you do that well um, then a tourist isn't going to be bothered that you don't have 20 beers on the go or like a full full menu a la carte and all that kind of stuff um, it's about doing what you do well that, and that's a really interesting point because again talking about the trends for a long time having a huge range on, you know, and to some extent that was what excited consumers, that's what got people in your tap room. But there is a business cost that comes with having that many beers constantly on um, that, that makes it very, very challenging. And also, you know, in, in, in the main capitals, you can have half a dozen breweries within a short walk of each other. And that I, I wonder how viable that is having you know 15 unique beers on tap at any one venue when everyone's got probably the same 15 beers and it's uh, you know a little bit more stick to your knitting um yeah. as dr tim cooper would say <laughs> um and and yeah and, and and think about those sorts of things and yeah, you know, there, there is a lot of um mat tracing is, is is the term i've heard it described as where everyone mm. does the same thing one turn one tax left and oh, the yeah. other or that would be to port Oh, um, <laughs> nautical knowledge I tax, do not no, have. No, I was going to say, <laughs> if you're going to use a sailing metaphor, <laughs> don't mix metaphors and sort of say you tack left, you tack to port, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, there was a great little article. And I'd, um, I would also like to, just a shout out to Australia's Craft Beer Capital, which is a little oh. bit of a, um, yeah, a bit of a, a drop 
mic drop or a little <laughs> bit of uh, fighting words, but the, 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 the Sunshine Coast, which now plays home to 22 I believe so. uh, breweries, I um, you know, they wanted to get a discussion talking about beer tourism because they are mm. such they see themselves as a, such a strong beer tourism so they sponsored that series of articles mm-hmm. that they didn't necessarily want to appear in you know mm-hmm. so it wasn't hey talk about us it was talking about beer tourism yeah um so yeah big shout out to australia's okay. craft beer capital so if you are listening <laughs> I, I, I can hear the teeth going on edge um, <laughs> I, know. Going, I think we had a few uh, emails after one the we, first one we did like uh since when uh, what about sydney's <laughs> in the west and, and what about hey you didn't put your flag in that <laughs> that hill. <laughs> so here you go. They got Let's their get first. the conversation. Where where should be Australia's craft beer capital? Because at the moment, mm-hmm. the Sunshine Coast is claiming that mantle. But it's mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was, it was just nice of them to, to do that as part of a you know a, a, an interesting piece on tourism. Yep, and I really like that um, we sort of brainstormed before even. Visit Sunshine Coast were involved, and we're like, right, well, if we're talking about tourism and beer, what will we talk about? We'll talk about beer trails and the basics of beer tourism, uh, all this kind of stuff. And they do it, they do do it. They do beer tours, they do the basics, they're good at tourism, they're good at selling themselves, and that's what you need uh, for all of the above. And we uh, look at in our line of work, we see a lot of governments, you know, wanting to jump on, um, you know, and be photographed in a brewery because it's a cool thing and, you know, they think it gives them a bit of credibility. You see a lot of people, you know, my favourite expression I'd love to have a go at is the rising tide lifts all boats. Mm-hmm. But that's generally said by the people who are making boats. Um, <laughs> you know, more boats doesn't rise the boats, you know. <laughs> this is one of those things that looks is looking at how can we build you know, bring more water in um, mm-hmm. to, you know, sort of build the market um, so there, so there's a bigger pool for people to uh, play in when they do build their boat or their brewery, <laughs> their brewery boat, a boat on a brewery. Um, anyway. Next new idea, we're going to invest it. Now, you're, I think there's already a cruise line that's done it. I haven't heard it for a Never. while. Never. Yeah. Really? But if you're going to cruise line now, you probably want a beer. Um, <laughs> if you if you like to have a beer when you've got COVID. Um mm. Unfortunately, we don't have Questions. any. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, uh, and, uh, just a sponsored post that we had this week that's probably worth um, having a little bit of a look at. Um, oh, I really ha- liked this How one. to plan brewery build. Yeah, talking like if advertising can be valuable, that's our favourite kind of advertising. So this is a little yeah. piece from Spark Brewing. Uh, just, you know, just giving some fairly easy um, starts that yeah. if you are looking at uh, building Nice little intro. Um, and obviously we do uh, the brewery radar and I speak to a lot of breweries in planning for that and um, when they open talking about like this really practical stuff that when you're home brewing or whatever that's starting out you don't realise like and you don't necessarily want to ask what you'd probably consider as just stupid question like what are the absolute basics of this and sometimes people need to be reminded of the basics as well mm. um so that's really interesting uh so yeah nice little article from spark there but if you've just read the article from spark and you've built a brewery and you know you, you've put in a canning line and no <gasps> doubt yeah. that canning line would be a scar fabricating of canning course. line yeah they, they, they support our uh our, our little enterprise um but they can also support your business um scar fabricating builds reliable automated packaging line equipment that is handcrafted to make life easier for breweries and for production teams if you are a brewer Looking for the best way to get your product out of your taproom and into the hands of your customers, Scarfab has you covered. With a wide range of depal, that's depalletizers uh, if you're not in the industry, mm. uh, custom conveyance, date coding, rinsing and drying systems, and more, Scarfab specializes in helping breweries of all sizes get their beer from keg to can. 
To find out more about Scarfab and how they can help you sell more beer, visit www.scarfabricating.com today. That's S-K-A fabricating.com to get started today. Um, and you'll find a link to them uh, in the show notes uh, or on the Bruce News Business Directory. <laughs> Where I was actually going to go with that was I was going to say that if you once you've got scar fabricating, uh-huh. you know, once you've got your uh, brewery installed as per the mm-hmm. instruction, yeah, the um, mm-hmm. scar instructions, oh, and, no, spark and, uh, instructions. The, the spark instructions, yeah. and you've got scar, you know, and you've got a packaging line, and you're yeah. going to have beer and package. Yeah. Where would you get your labels from? Because <laughs> labels are a billboard it's essential. these days. It's essential. It is. And you would get your labels, dear listener, and I can all, already <laughs> hear you saying this. I can hear you sort of saying it along with me. Beer can labels are regarded these days as the new mini billboard of the beverage industry. They say a lot as an advertisement that you can hold in your hand. 20 years ago, there were only a handful of beer brands, each having a couple of different alcohol strengths. It wasn't hard to choose one or to have a favorite. It was simple. Similar to Ford Lovers or Holden Lovers. But not anymore. Now we have hundreds of different beer brands with a plethora of flavors and strengths, which equals great choice. If you want to make your beer and your brand and your billboard in the hand stand out, the people you should go to is Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging. They can help you get your specs right so your bottle or can can look its best at all times. Call the guys at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging on 1300 852 235 or email sales at print. Dot com.au to see how they can help make your branding sing. I was, thought that should have been Rallying Sprint, but it's Rallying's Print. Mm, but it looks the same. It does. Oh, I've missed putting ads in. I know. <laughs> you'll find a link to them in the show notes or on the Bruce News Business Directory. That's Rallying's Label Stickers and Packaging. We'll talk a little bit about uh, equity crowdfunding. So, yeah, so. Shall we? 2.4 million. Okay, now. So, yes. Right. Rewind. <laughs> Future Magic Brewing Co. have launched their offer today. Brisbane offer Brewery. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, Brisbane Brewery and Planning because there planning, is no brewery. And not currently open. I have to say, not knocking the guys or their passion or their plan or anything like that. But as the listeners know, I'm not a huge fan of um, equity crowdfunding, which is increasingly looking like NFTs in terms of an investment prospect. So, so no, no disrespect to the guys in this particular case because there are yep. two or three that are open at the moment, all um, of which... And I think there's just some more fundamental things that are tricky and challenging with crowdfunding. Not necess- as you say, not focusing on any one business in particular, just the process of it and the way it's done. Not quite as regulated as I'd like to see for something. Well, it's regulated, like but the more I look into it, the more I see that the peop- that the participants keep pointing to what their regulation is and not having any responsibility for the bigger market. And, you know, and, and that's, you know, like if, if you're raising money, you can say, you can pick a valuation as in $2.4 million for a brewery that is yet to make a beer. Um, 3.5 million. 3.5, actually. sorry. <laughs> when there is a brewery of significant size in Brisbane selling at the moment for less than a million dollars with a brand, lease, taproom, basically exactly the same thing and it hasn't sold mm-hmm. so you've got two enthusiastic young people who are very interested in in beer putting a valuation and 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 here's where the regulation comes in you know i watched the investor briefing that they did online mm-hmm. and there was somebody from virtual the platform on it and you know, during the course of it, they you know, and there's been a lot of questions about the valuation, how much they want and how much they're worth and things. And 
the person from virtual didn't do anything wrong in saying this, but they always frame it by, or they always drop in, well, you know, the the beer industry is one of the ones that's seen the most takeover activity of breweries being bought, you know, like we've seen Bolt or we've seen Stone and Wood. And that is automatically Ooh. skewing. Like yeah. it, they're not saying you'll be bought out or they're not making any promises, mm-hmm. but they're just creating this. Yeah. The insinuation is. The mindset that mm-hmm. yeah, there are 600 breweries in the country I know of at least eight to ten that are for sale and have been for sale for a long time. We've mm-hmm. seen Stalwart, you know, which is a brand and a business, go out of business. You have to survive a lot before anybody is going to come and buy you. Mm-hmm. And for one of the to, to even name drop um, bolters and mm-hmm. uh, things when you are equity crowdfunding to open just feels like yep. it's yep. dangling a an imaginary carrot in front of people. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I was thinking about this while I was away because, I mean, the valuation thing is obviously, it sticks in your mind. Mm-hmm. In some respects, I'm like, well, this is a Australian-based business, and, and they all are, mostly. Um, Australian-based business, a manufacturing business, making something in Australia. Why shouldn't they value themselves quite highly? Fine. My issue really is, as I say, regulatory, but because they don't understand the particular uh, challenges and pressures of being open and opening yourself up to this, it means that you have a higher level of obligation to the people that you've asked for money from. And when you don't file your accounts with ASIC, when you um, don't communicate major changes in your business uh, to your investors, that should be punishable in well, my opinion or at least like someone should be like no nah, you can't do that but who's going to do that virtual's not going to do that and, and, and this is a great point because at the moment you can't cast a blanket over the whole industry but the ones that i've looked at the level of communication that has come from the businesses that have crowdfunded is by and large appalling there's some notable exceptions. Obviously, Black Ops Black is Ops fantastic. Black Ops is excellent. Um, yeah, yeah, so I want to really, call really those good. out. But then you've got people like Endeavour, mm-hmm. who are the first to crowdfund. I'm a shareholder and also a journalist. They haven't filed their um, returns. They're like When you take this money, it's not free money, even though people are treating it that way. You, to some extent, become a public company and you have to file an annual unaudited financial statement with ASIC. Mm-hmm. A lot of them haven't been doing that or a lot of them haven't been transparent or talking about the businesses and Endeavour just hasn't and you email them, can't even get a response from them. Um, Dainton, which has launched another one, mm-hmm. hasn't filed, you know, so they did one a couple of years ago, oversubscribed. They, they haven't lodged in three years mm-hmm. their financial documents. Now they, mm. and you know, Virtual, which is the platform, um, and they say, "Look, we're subject to all of this, um, you know, uh, gatekeeper yep. you know, responsibilities." I believe um, I, my predecessor wrote an article about how it's safer to do crowdfunding in Australia than it is in other countries because of the regulations going on here. And uh, that's that was and, from and, and that was virtual. And, and, and that was from virtual. Where, where yeah. There were some quotes from virtual, but when you l- actually look at what the gatekeeping role is, it is basically making sure there is making sure that they're not of bad fame or bad faith or bad fame I think it is basically not a criminal Mm -hmm. and then that there are no um, which a lot of you have to do anyway to get a license (laughs) in many states so if you have a license de facto you're an acceptable person basically have less responsibility on them than a real estate agent they're they're, they're a real estate agent they're promoting it they are incentivised to maximise the return because they get paid based on the return that they get Mm -hmm. and 
you know, so you've got the situation now where Birchall is doing a launch for um, a brewery that hasn't met its disclosure requirements on my understanding, and I've, I've spoken to them about this, and they've confirmed, and they've just gone up, I, I, you know, in the last uh, day. So mm-hmm. I believe that, uh, that that that's correct, and it's you know, so you've got a business that says it's got a gatekeeper role when the people that they did a raise for previously and are doing a raise and have opened the expressions of interest when they're not compliant with the legislation from three years ago. Yep. To me, that's that, that, that's problematic so because whenever you the, – the shifting sands of equity crowdfunding is, well, you know, we're building a community of, you know, brand advocates and people like that, you know, and so we're going to communicate with them. And when you're not seeing the communication, and then the other hand is it's always teased that, you know, there is a potential IPO in the offer or there's a potential sale. Mm-hmm. Um, never said that it's likely or anything like that, but it just – Because you're not allowed to. Yeah, well, <laughs> and it, it does. It sounds more and more like NFTs or, you know, timeshare apartment sales um, where it's all, you know, no responsibility taken for, for the things. And, mm-hmm. in, in, and that's all relevant because in – particularly in the um, – future magic one and I again it's very hard to report these things and not sound like you're pointing fingers but I'm just saying this as a um, this is just an observation but future magic doesn't have a brewery they were on a podcast recently with um, the boss and the brewer Dan Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. Norris from Black Ops who's again a very successful Mm -hmm. um, crowdfunding from through Birchall and also Steve Henderson Um, and actually go listen to it because Hendo sounded like he had some interesting questions he asked some very uh, good questions about um, the equity crowdfunding so it was a couple of weeks ago but then you've got Birchall who are saying that, you know, well, we have these, we can't mislead, we can't do this, you know, we need to do all of this. On the podcast, my understanding of what was said by the guys from Future Magic was they were asked a question, if you don't get the full amount of the raise, what will you do? Um, because they haven't got a brewery yet, they've, they've ordered the equipment and hasn't left. Um, I don't think it's even on a ship yet or, you know, will be soon. Mm-hmm. Um they, they, they've got their plan. And the answer was, well, you know, if we don't get the full raise, we'll sell off some of our tanks, which to me means that they don't have enough money to open fully. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. is, 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 is my read. Now, I've spoken to him since and he's said, no, look, that's not true. We'll, we'll have enough money to, to, to open. Mm-hmm. Um, we won't need to sell it off. But still not confidence inspiring. But when you look at it, I'll just have called up uh, the Birchall sponsored post, which I'd assumed was from the brewery. Birchall has a, a, a paragraph in there currently with a brewing capacity of 150,000 litres per year. Future Magic plans to raise funds to build a large 550 square metre brew pub that includes a 350 square metre tap room to house its passionate community while increasing production beyond 350,000 uh, litres per year. Yeah. So, but- again, to, and I'll, I can post this in the show notes. That sounds like this is a business that has 150,000, not will open with 150,000 litres and this money is going to see it expand. Mm -hmm. Now, when I raised questions with Future Magic, very soon afterwards, Birchall changed it and Future Magic said, no, that wasn't our wording. Yeah, and to be clear, Future Magic didn't say that in their post, did they? They didn't say that in their post, no. So Future Magic's uh, post or Birchall subsequently changed their post to with an initial brewing capacity of up to 150,000 <laughs> litres. So now, mm-hmm. but when, when they changed it, they didn't put a disclaimer. They didn't say, look, you know, if you read this, and I've, yep. I've seen this about 50 times, mm-hmm. such as the targeting for, for, for this sponsored post. Yep. They didn't 
note that it was edited. They didn't note there was a mistake that may have been potentially misleading. Mm-hmm. Um, they you know didn't say anything, and you're sort of going, well, there's a pretty low bar, and you're not. You're not achieving that. Well, um, yeah, maybe well, they're achieving. <laughs> what bothers me about that is that they were slightly more concerned in that particular instance with marketing rather than the regulation around it. And if you are going to be a platform that wants to do this, you need to tow, never tow that line. You need to be is, far back from that line. This has always been my concern with the way, you know, again, it, it maybe it's my misunderstanding um, of their role, but I've always thought that the platform was a platform, you know, like the the, the funding platform mm-hmm. was a little bit like the ASX. It was a very informal ASX, yes. so you didn't have to go to the full... And the ASX takes its responsibility, it, it appreciates that it doesn't just perform a role to, to make mm-hmm. profit, it has a duty to shareholders, mm-hmm. um, its shareholders, because that has confidence in the entire industry. The more, when, when I heard uh, Birchall talking about it and the more questions I've asked about accountability and transparency and things... Mm-hmm. They basically have a very low bar for you know, platforms, not just and virtual is the, the, the one in this case, but platforms have a very low bar and they don't seem to have, and I've asked questions of, um, you know, do you assume any responsibility beyond your legislated ones mm-hmm. um, and didn't get a response. They referred mm-hmm. me to their answer on Boss and the Brewer mm-hmm. um, pod- podcast. So, you know... It, my concern is, as someone who loves the industry, reports on the beer industry, you look at the number that are coming in, you know, you, you think you, you th- think that the platforms have some responsibility to the industry as well. That they're making money off. That they're making money off, Because they make yeah. an exceptional amount of money and I'm working on totaling up how much they've made from all the um, brewing crowd funds, but they make a rather large chunk every time they do... They do okay out of it. <laughs> they do pretty yeah, nice, If you're yeah. getting over a million dollars, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, you, you, you're getting a, you know, a, a, a bit of money. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's, what, 90 grand if you were... Uh, I think, oh, it's a couple of percent, 6, 7%, mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah, so, 60, 70,000 uh, So, yeah, it's a lot. And um, I don't know if you saw, Matt, but there were talks, uh, Nothing, I believe nothing concrete yet, about sort of coming up with an ASX esque platform in which you can trade shares. That was that apparently you, on the, yeah. Yeah, so that was mentioned on the podcast and I think it's been um, discussed well, on LinkedIn and stuff like that, which is all well and good, but if you can't it's, regulate and tell, like, well, get, in, get inside that. regulation is involved in this, yeah. Exactly. Because if you can't do that, then why are you going to be allowed to be a trading platform if, as well? If they're only going to assume the responsibilities that are set for them in legislation that are pretty low, um, so they're, a, you know, they're, they're because it's an unknown for the government. They were like, mm, "We're not really sure what this is about, mm. so we'll leave you to it for a few years." Instantly, I've asked the same question to ASIC, sort of going, yeah. "You know, well, what? You know, how, who monitors compliance?" <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I just said, "Look, you know, there's a, there's an equity crowdfunding uh, open for a business that currently hasn't filed its um, financials for three years under the, the legislation." <laughs> And they wrote back and said, well, tell us who it is and we'll investigate it. And I'm going, hold on. Oh, no, we I'm can't not, do that. I'm not going to, yeah. You can't I'm, make the news. <laughs> I can't participate in a story that I want to recover. Yeah. But then also that crystallises my concerns mm-hmm. about whose responsibility is it? You know, because It seems very passive in that respect. It's not very active in looking for these issues and doing something about them. When you speak to the platforms, they talk about there are ASIC punishments, there are, you know, there's regulations mm-hmm. that companies can't breach. But you know, when the platforms are aware that there is a breach or there's a you know a, a, a failure of thing, they're still opening. You know, they're not bringing ASIC 
it to ASIC's attention. So mm-hmm. clearly they don't see that it's their role because they're going to upset a potential yeah. crowdfunding. And it's, yeah. Again, th- yes. this is all our it's, opinion. Yeah, um, it's, this it's is all opinion and highly speculative. and genuinely held, um, held opinion. But, I yeah, again, and partly it's disappointing because I had assumed that the platforms had more responsibility than they actually want to assume. And I also think that, it's this, it's almost the same as with ABAC. You know, we go a little bit too conservative to be safe on the safe side. You yep. do the best you can and you make sure you're well within your obligations, legally, regulatory, whatever, on purpose. So well, that's because <laughs> yeah. if, if you want to care about the industry and it, it's a consumer confidence base and anything on the stock exchange, you know, that's one of the other things you hear a lot of people sort of say, well, you know, people determine the value of a business. Um, and you go, well, yeah, it's but shouldn't they have? Sh- sh- well, shouldn't they have? Th- th- they can, but shouldn't they have full information? Mm-hmm. And you know, if you've made a mistake in your sponsored post about what they're actually buying into, yeah, should you actually draw that mistake to people's attention or just quietly change it? Um, <laughs> you know, that's one of the things. And yeah. um, and well, and I mean, I've, look, I've talked. We, we've we, we've talked about um, the fear of missing out that they build where they have this expression of interest for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. and then start talking about the... Without any of the, the documentation. Private, the, 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 yeah, you, you don't get financials, you don't get anything. The financial, you know, so the the, the, the private op- thing is going to open. And I mm-hmm. had a text about this from a senior brewer this morning. Yeah. Um, actually going, what's the difference between a private and a public offer? Because they sound exactly the same. And they are, except one is to... We, we, we spend two weeks marketing it mm-hmm. to capture your your email yeah. and your data and you know, y- 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 your interest and yeah. get an idea of how much we're potentially going to raise blind though blind, blind investment blind well, blind, well or no, promise or blind, blind of interest, interest yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and and they do point to well there's a 5 day cooling off period afterwards yeah sure but you know like that's the thing that's what this fear of missing out mm-hmm. i don't you know I, again yeah, i i just think hard. it's not healthy for an industry and the other the the level of discontent in the industry and the level of concern over equity crowdfunding, I, th- you know, it, I actually think it's harming brands that do it. Um, so and some have done it very well. Um, and you know, like Akasha, I thought did it very, very mm-hmm. well, did it very yep. respectfully. Black Hops um, yep. did it did it very well. Um, you know, and, and some have done it. Uh, better than others, but there is a real level of disquiet in the industry. So anyway, look, I didn't mean to turn this into a big equity crowdfunding <laughs> raise, but uh, you know, uh, like, that, 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 that's our opinion. Um, I, I know it's an opinion that's shared by a lot of people, and you know, you're not getting a lot of um, answers back when, when you ask. You know, beyond what the minimum concern is, um, what, what the minimum responsibilities are. You know, and I, I sort of see it as something that could end up um, being like ostrich farming, where Craft brewing, if enough people lose enough money um, because everyone is racing to equity crowdfund. Stuff could go sideways. Yes. So, <laughs> um, now, mailbag. Ooh, mailbag. Um, now, nice little prize this week, and the, the winner um, of this uh, is in our mailbag. But thanks to our friends at Lark. Hope you've been enjoying the conversations that we've been recording as part of the Beer is a Conversation. Really, I, I, I really enjoyed it. And it's not, if you've got to do advertising, which we do to keep this ship afloat, um, I thought it was a nice way of doing it. Looking at Boilermakers, have you ever Boilermakered? Mm. Are you a whiskey drinker? I have in the past, but I'm 
Not regular. No. Not well, regular I, I, I love a whiskey, whiskey, but it was, yeah, so really, really interesting to hear a little bit more about the history of the Boilermaker this week. And that's thanks to our friends at Lark. Um, and to celebrate the launch of Wolf Release 5 and the fifth year of the shared vision between the House of Lark and Victoria's Wolf of the Willows Brewery, for the next eight weeks, the Mailbag Letter of the Week will receive a Wolf versus Boilermaker pack including a Wolf 5 single malt whiskey, a Wolf 5, isn't it a great prize? Um, Wolf 5 Johnny Smoke Porter Beer, Lark Beer Glass and Lark Glen Can Whiskey Glass. The Wolf Release 5 will launch on 8 August, so five days' time by the time you, uh, or five days after we record this. um, Check the dates before you... Um, do it, but we still will be giving out the gift pack afterwards. Uh, make sure you join the waitlist to avoid missing out on the special release. There is a link in the show notes. And uh, listen to Beers of Conversation this week to find out a little bit more about the joys of boilermakering. And now the win- winner of the week. Do you want to read it out for us, Claire? Of course. Uh, so this is a, an email from Daniel Gelbart on uh, just talking about Dan Murphy's and his first trip there uh, for uh, in a while. He says, uh, what really stood out to me was the amount of home brand products that were actively promoting. The beer of the week was called Crony. I never heard of it, but it looked interesting. So I read the label and sure enough, Pinnacle Drinks. Another section on dark beer highlighted only one beer, which happened to be Zytho, another Pinnacle Drink. Uh, besides that, it appears that they are, they are regularly dispersed with all the other beers. They keep the local beers, Bentsburg, Capital, Tummer, River, I imagine. Uh, in one section, it was not showcased as much as the Pinnacle or Asahi-owned beers. On the positive side, they do have a very wide range of beers, so even the fussiest bruised news listener can find something they will drink. In addition, there was a small area promoting the Gab's beer pack, which looked awesome. P.S. By coincidence, a pack of Sidewinder was next to a better beer alcohol-free promotion. <laughs> oh, whoops. Uh, sorry for the rambling. Keep on making a great show. I'm loving the different perspectives of your panellists. Oh, God, rambling. If, if I could be that succinct, we'd <laughs> probably only be about 15 minutes. Um, but great, yeah, look, and, and, and this is um, a growing concern. We've talked about it so we probably don't need to go too much but small brewers seem to think that tap contracts on the you know, line and cb are out to to screw them mm-hmm. over the person who you know i won't say screw over no the the the, the, the real competition is coming um you know in, from inside the house yeah the, yeah the people that you sell through and it's a really it's you know anything that proves successful mm-hmm. they'll bring it in i've seen huge promotion for zytho <laughs> yes where's what's that come from never on bruce news because no. <laughs> they don't pay anybody well <laughs> Maybe they don't like what we say, but this is what keeps us independent. So, uh, mm-hmm. listeners, you have a chance to help keep us independent yep. as well. But yeah, like it's it, you know, I keep coming back to competition is good for the mm-hmm. industry, mm-hmm. absolutely. But competition isn't just on selling a product at a cheap price. It is about innovation and things. And I don't see a lot of innovation coming from Mm-mm. the big retailers you know they have the best data in the industry because they sell most of the beer they are able to participate in and i actually see them coming in at a price point that anchors everyone else so it's very hard for you know craft brewers would love to charge more for their beer Mm -hmm. but when you've got a zytho beer that looks like craft um, it's very hard to understand that it's not from a small local brewery you know, it, it, it's quite troubling. And, it, you know, if I was small brewers, and again, I always come back to when people won't go on the record for fear of their business, you know that there is mm-hmm. a real power imbalance. Yep. 
Which is why I thought it was interesting that Rob Nichols, a few a couple of months ago now, I think, um, we were talking about the potential uh, what what the A Triple C would look at in terms of competition. They so look at price, don't they? They look at price, but they also uh, look at preferential treatment. So if your beer, if you, I, I think he mentioned, um, I don't think I was there for the chat, but I, I wish I was because it was a really interesting one. If you have a full aisle of craft beer and they are all independent, mm. and then a year later you have like 50% of that, your own private label beer, your home brand beer, that could potentially be considered... I reckon that's where we're almost yeah. at. When you look... I agree. And I think that's exactly... If this is going to go to the ACCC, if this is something that we complain about enough to go to the ACCC as an industry, this is the kind of stuff they'll be looking at. And they'll be looking at um, the prominence of the independent beer in on the shelves versus the beer that they make themselves and they earn the most money on things like that seem like small details to us but that's what um somebody like the ACCC will consider in terms of whether this is anti-competitive practice we might have to get rob on the podcast and dig a little bit deeper because it's complicated stuff and one of the things we love about the podcast is it's easier to listen to people talk Mm -hmm. about complex ideas than necessarily read them on your phone i think he'd be fab but a great email, um, really good email, Daniel Gelbart, uh, and thank you very much. And make sure when you hear this, you send if you haven't already, um, send us through your address so we can get out a Lark uh, Whiskey Celebratory Beer and Whiskey Pack. Um, I'm actually very jealous. We know, haven't kept one of these for ourselves. That wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Matt Kirkegaard, and welcome back, Claire Burnett, who uh, may be off for another couple of weeks if we record I think Thursdays. so, yeah. I'll be... If you need, if I'm required, I'll potter in. Okay, <laughs> mm, I might take you up on that. So, well, because Thursdays, yeah, we just for listeners, um, we're recording this on Wednesday for a variety of reasons, but normally Thursday because it goes out Friday, and we want to make sure the news is as fresh as a <laughs> juicy IPA <laughs> drunk from the brewery that made it. Dank. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, so uh, Claire, uh, the the show is produced by. Vivian Dapalovich, who also featured one of our stories and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Yakima Chief Hops, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, Scar Fabricating and Lark Whiskey for their support in making this episode possible. And thank you for listening. And if you would like to make sure that we can still speak without fear or favour, um, fortunately we've never had any legal bills to pay. But um, <laughs> God, fingers crossed, <laughs> such word. You can, uh, you can uh, throw us a few shekels. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. And you can also share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at brewsnews.com or leaving a review on your favourite podcasting service. And with that, we're out. Boom. That's a very welcome sound.